0: people can there be in the state of Iowa? Six electo- uh, electoral co- uh, college votes. Anyway, um, so where I grew up, I actually was in a neighborhood. It was slightly out of town, but there was a collection of houses. There was a neighborhood. And if, if, uh, if I could take you to my house back in time, you would, you would, uh, you would see that to the, to the right of our house, was the Wessel family, the Wessels. And the Wessels became very dear friends to us. They were the neighbors that if we were uh, low on flour, we could call them and get some extra flour. And if they were going to be out of town and they needed somebody to mow the yard while they were out of town, well, then they would ask the DeWitts to, to, to mow, mow the yard. and We were totally good with it. Those were the Wessels. To the other side were the Hermans. And the Hermans were also very nice people, and uh, they were into horses, and we had a few horses, and so we had that in common, and uh, their daughter, Cindy, was our regular babysitter growing up. You know, she was so old. She was 12, and we uh, were babysat by her, and, uh, which now seems crazy to have a 12-year-old in charge of anything. Uh <laughs> But we would, we would do uh, sprinklers and fireworks, uh, or spark, sparklers and fireworks uh, at 4th of July and play football in front of their house. Across the street was a family that shall remain unnamed, uh, and they were the family that everybody kind of wondered about, uh, and frankly, they were not friendly at all, and uh, nobody really liked them that much, and uh, the fence that they built around their entire property said that the feelings were mutual within the neighborhood. Now I could go on throughout the houses in in the neighborhood that I grew up in, and I would bet if you grew up somewhat like me, you had families here and there around you in your your neighborhood that uh, were similar. You had some people that were good neighbors, they were kind, they were helpful. You had others that Uh, Were maybe sort of neutral, they would wave and, um, you know, let you know when your garage was open or something, Um, and then you had some that really were not very good neighbors, and everybody sort of wishes they weren't there. What influence do you suppose that a Christian home should have within a neighborhood? Does a vibrant Christian home within a community have any redeeming influence? Or how should the neighbors look at you? Can I say that? How should the neighbors look at you? Or how should the neighbors look at us if we are living out our Christianity? And maybe the the grander question, which is what I'm getting at tonight, Uh, how should a church that is loving its neighbors and neighborhood as itself, what influence should a church have if it is living out its Christianity within the community and the neighborhood that God has called it? Now, let me just say this. Bethel Church wants to be a great neighbor. I oftentimes meet with leaders in the community and I will say to them, We want to be a blessing here. How can we be a blessing? What can we do in this community? Now, some of you are like, oh, that's great for the church, but I don't know about me, because after all, I'm a little unclear as to who my neighbor is. Well, now that sounds like something I've heard in the Bible. Who is my neighbor? Jesus was asked that question, do you remember? And the response to him was the very famous parable of the Good Samaritan. Which, the point of the parable was not, who is my neighbor, but to whom can I be a neighbor, and who can I love? And in this Blueprint series, which we're wrapping up now, we're getting close, next week is the last one, we have used the picture of a house. To describe a vibrant church, a biblical church, a spirit filled church. And in that house, there is a foundation that is Jesus. There is a living room, which is worship. There is a family room, which is the place of fellowship. There is a kitchen where the church is nourished by the Spirit and by the Word. There is a garden within which everybody in the house serves and blesses the entire house. And today we have the neighborhood. The neighborhood? What about the houses and the people and the community around the vibrant house, the vibrant church? What should be the influence? What should be the role of the church? And Jesus addresses this in Matthew 5, so please turn there if you have a Bible, beginning in verse 13. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13. Here is the word of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. Now i got to ask a question because you seem dark to me tonight. Can you read your Bibles? Do you need a little more light? I think it's a little dark tonight. Could the lighting, blessed servant, give a little more light? Because I want our people to be able to read their Bibles. Okay. Now, some of you, we could have spotlights over you. You just need a large print Bible. Just give in to it. <laughs> All right. You know who you are if you're taking your glasses and you're doing this number like this as you're trying to read it. George Warren, uh, 55 years, marriage. All right, why don't I just start over, okay? I sort of broke the flow. Let's start over. You are the salt of the earth. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus was the master illustrator. Jesus could take a profound truth, a massive, God-sized truth, and he could illustrate it in the most simple of terms. He does this all the time. Uh, The kingdom of God is like a little bit of leaven. Uh, or a seed along the path. And everyone goes, oh, I get that. I understand that. And we see Jesus using that storytelling uh, genius here as he tries to describe the influence that God's people ought to have in the world. And he does it in terms that everybody can understand. Salt and light. He says God's people ought to be like Salt, and they ought to be like light, like a city on a hill. Now everybody here, even the children, can kind of get that picture, what he is saying. What do salt and light have in common? They both are influencers, aren't they? Wherever light goes, it influences. Wherever salt goes, it, it, it changes the flavor, doesn't it? And salt and light both have influence. So let's talk about both of these uh, and see what Jesus is trying to say. First of all, he says, You are the salt of the earth. Now, in the ancient world, the salt was used a little bit differently than it is commonly on our tables today. Salt in the ancient world was highly valued because it was a preservative. The meat, and to this day, if you go to the Middle East, uh, there is meat hanging everywhere. In fact, last, last, what was it, March, we did our Israel trip, and my, my now wife, Jennifer, was, uh, we, were, we were dating, and she went on the trip, the, the tour with everybody. And we were in Nazareth, and I said to her as we were pulling into Nazareth, I said, you know, the very first time that I came here, I remember we went right up this street. This was like 20 years ago. We went right up this street, and we took a left, and hanging right on the corner was this, uh, was this, lamb or a sheep or whatever it is a lamb hanging there all skin off of it just the and i see leo he's a butcher right back here he can relate to this uh hanging there and i I remember it grossed me out you know and i said i remember seeing that when we went around the corner so we go walking up the street we go around the corner and there's a lamb hanging there in the same spot 20 years (laughs) that's good salt if it can hang there for 20 years and still be good so anyway to this day there's a lot of meat hanging around the place in the Middle East and they would what they would do is they would take salt and they would rub it in and it would act as a as a preservative uh, salt in some ways was used as well for the what we mean by salt when we say pass the salt what we mean by that is I want to add salt an influencing flavor to the meal that I'm about to eat. Typically meat, but also gravy and other delicious items. Salt, even watermelon. You would never think to put, and I don't, but I've heard of people that do this, they'll put salt on their watermelon, which to me would be a corrupting influence, but they do that and they say it draws the flavor out. That's what salt does. Jesus here says that we, spiritually, We, God's people, Christians, are the salt of the earth. We are like salt to be influencers in the community. Important to note in the text that he's not talking about good, moral people. Like people talk about, oh, they're such such nice people. He's not talking about good, moral, nice people. He's talking about Christians. Notice he says in verse 12, He's referring to the people who have reward in heaven. These are true, authentic followers of Jesus. And he goes on to ask the question, if salt loses its saltiness, then what is the good of the salt? In other words, what what good is non-salty salt? If you had salt... And it did not have any flavor. It didn't do its salty thing. It just was white pebbles. You would never put it on your food, would you? What's the point? It doesn't do anything. And so Jesus is making the same same analogy. Okay, so salt. I also like the reality that salt makes people thirsty. I had pizza the other night. I woke up the next day. I couldn't drink enough. Right? So a lot of salt. Even though salt makes you thirsty, doesn't it? Secondly, he says, you are the light of the world. This is the verse that began the well-known children's song. Uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, I'm going to let it shine. And on it goes, okay? So we're on a truth here that children can get, so I don't want any of you adults going, man, this is totally going over my head, because the kids in our youth ministry, children's ministry, they get this. What is the purpose of light? Light allows someone to see. And light here, he says, like a city on a hill. Cities put off light. You can see the glow of Chicago from here. In fact, I was recently on one of the highest buildings in Chicago, looked out over the city at night. It's amazing, the city of Chicago from that vantage point. You think of uh, ComEd, everybody complains about ComEd, but you look at all those lights and all that, whatever company's taking electricity to all those spots, that's impressive, right? There is a lot of light, it shines, it influences, it changes the darkness, the light does. And that's why nobody puts a light under a bowl. What's the purpose of light? To help you see. If you put a bowl over the light now, The purpose of the light has been mitigated, hasn't it? I can't see. There's a bowl over the light. And the child says, well, Daddy, why are you putting a bowl over the light? Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Right? He concludes now by saying, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So here now is the important connection. We say, okay, salt is an influence. Light is an influence. Salt changes the way something tastes. Light changes the darkness so that we can see. What are you talking about, Jesus? He says, the salt and the light for the Christian are the good, what he calls here the good deeds, the good works, the acts of love, the acts of compassion. In a spiritually bankrupt culture, in a moral darkness, The light of a Christian's life makes people thirsty and helps them see. It influences. We are called to influence. And the way that we influence is the nature of our life. Now, some of you, you might say, well, we, we need to be moral people. Yes, we need to be moral people. We need to be godly people. Yes, we need to be godly people. We need to do this perfectly. None of us do, do we? So if Jesus is saying here, you got to be perfect, 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 and influence your culture, then we're all, we, no, we can't do it, can we? It is not so much the perfection of our life, but the testimony of our life. Here we just had baptisms. And we heard tonight, we'll have a whole more, bunch more tomorrow. People saying, I have come to follow Jesus. He has changed my life. You could ask any of those people, are you perfect now? They'd go, oh, no, I'm not perfect. Two of them had wives to verify that. <laughs> but Christ has changed my life in ways that if you are around me or live in my neighborhood, you will see. And the change makes people thirsty spiritually, and it helps them see. It influences them towards the truth, which is what Jesus says, that the acts of kindness, the compassion, the love, the service, and indeed, eventually, propositionally, The speaking and the sharing of the gospel is of such a nature and empowered by God that it will have its effect. And in a morally bankrupt culture, like a city on a hill, a church shines brightly. And it's not the steeple, although you can see our steeple from a long ways away. Have you noticed that? And some of you go walk away, we're letting our light shine. Bad hermeneutics, my friends. That's not at all what he's talking about. Tear down the steeple, nothing changes. You're like, we've got rid of the baptistry, now we're getting rid of the steeple too? Was nothing sacred around here? I digress. (laughs) What he is saying is that we should be having an influence. And as we think about the analogy of the house, that a vibrant church filled with Imperfect Christians who are living out the testimony that Jesus has changed our life and we live that out in acts of love and compassion that quietly speak to the reality of a risen Savior will have its influence sufficient, it says here, so that they may glorify God themselves. In other words, it makes them thirsty, it helps them see, and they themselves come to believe. That's evangelism. We're talking about evangelism here and that role within the church salt and light. Now, I've got this salt shaker here, and I've set it here just to keep the intrigue going, because I know how it is when I set something down like this, I have everyone's attention because the whole time they're going, what is that doing there? And some of you think you've got it all figured out, maybe you do. Let me use the analogy here, show you what Jesus is talking about. Here I have uh, the very traditional American salt shaker. If you go to the Smithsonian, you'll find a salt shaker like this, and many of you have them, no doubt in your cabinetry at home. Um, I used to have one of these until I got married, and now this one is disposable. (laughs) Here I have Morton Salt. Very familiar look. The girl with the umbrella. No idea what that has to do with Morton, but that's their picture. All right? So, here's what Jesus is saying. The church can be like a salt shaker. Where? Within the walls or the spiritual confines of the church, we labor and we work and we, we build the church. We add to the church. We've got people that come become members of the church and here we are in our little place here in the church and and oh look here's another membership people members joining and here's some more members that are joining and isn't it wonderful this year and the next year and the next year and after a while you know what you can pile up a lot of salt in the salt shaker of the church can't you and isn't it fun being in the salt shaker because within the salt shaker like right now it's in here it's really salty like really salty inside here isn't it there's so much salt you're like feeding off the salt of, it, of the other salt and it's it's also very safe to be in if you're a salt it's the safe the safest place to be is inside the salt shaker right there's other salt that you can hang with and that you can be around and and it's 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 really great right this is what Jesus is saying, that he never intended for the salt to stay in the salt shaker. Basically, this is the sermon in one moment. You ready? Can you see that in salt in the, in, the, in the light? Isn't that nice? Okay. Be blessed, be warmed, be fulfilled, go home. Because that's basically what he is saying. If the salt stays in the salt shaker, it's of no value. It is It's is useless. Salt has to get out of the salt shaker. Now, here's the thing about salt. It doesn't, by itself, normally want to get out of the salt shaker. In fact, you listen carefully at lunch tomorrow. When you you go to salt your Sunday roast like this, if you listen carefully, you'll hear this. No! (laughs) No! We don't want to go. We like it in here. Have you ever had a salt shaker that sat for a long time, like in the back, and you get it out? What happens to the salt inside the salt shaker? It gets all what? Hard and crusty. And then when it's hard and crusty, you know what? You can shake and you can shake. And when you get hard and crusty, salt it will not get out of the salt shaker it stays right in there right where it wants to be which is the opposite of where God wants it to be God doesn't want our church to be a salt shaker he wants our church to be out of the salt shaker and into the community and into the world do you agree are we on the same page? And that a vibrant biblical church, which by the way is the people of the church. You can't say, well our church is in the community, let's go home and let's isolate ourselves. No, you are the church. For the, for, you're the little salt pebbles. So we can have on the billboard of the church, out of the salt shaker and into the community, And we can have billboards around town saying, we get out of the salt shaker. But until the salt actually gets out of the salt shaker, we're just blowing smoke. Now, to that end, I'd like to talk about what that is like, to get out of the salt shaker as a church. I came across this some years ago. Woodrow Wilson, 28th President of the United States, told the story of being in a barbershop one time. And now I'm quoting. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered though it was not in the least didactic in other words he wasn't preaching showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him and before i got through with what i was done uh, what was being done to me i was aware that i had attended an evangelistic service because mr dl moody was in that chair I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noticed the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. Now that is awesome, isn't it? And you know what? For most of us, completely unrealistic, right? It's one thing to look in, or when I say it this way, if you want to compare yourself to D.L. Moody, you're going to walk around with a serious inferiority complex. But it's nice to be inspired that direction by that story. For the rest of us mere mortals, the normal people, we have the same calling, but we have different gifts and a different testimony and a different day and a different way But we as a church very much want to be an out-of-the-salt-shaker kind of church. To that end, then, I want to talk with you about how our church does what I'm calling gospel neighboring. Gospel neighboring. Let me read Acts 1-8. These are the words of Jesus as Luke records them, the last words of Jesus, before he ascended. Very familiar. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus here lays out a plan. Every word's important. Let's walk through them quickly. Notice, first of all, you. The you at the time was the 11, but it was a corporate you. This is for all of you, he says. So that Peter couldn't say, well, I think I'm I'm not included in this. I'm delegating it to Andrew. And Andrew couldn't say, well, I'm the brother of Peter, and clearly God wouldn't want me to do this, so John, why don't you do it? And John going, hey, I laid on the, on, the, on the shoulder of Jesus. I think my brother James should do it. And everyone's going, where's Judas? Let's give it to him. He's dead. No, you, every one of you, have something that I want you to do. Next, will, future tense, command, you Will This is like when your mama says you will go to your room and you will clean it up, right? It is not a suggestion. It is a command. You will be my witnesses. Now, what is a witness? When a judge calls a witness, that witness is there to express something that they know to be true. What do we find the apostles doing in the book of Acts? Acts one twenty two saying this, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection, talking about the replacement of Judas on the apostles. Acts 2.32, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. Acts 3.15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. To be a witness is simply to testify about something that is true we are all called to be witnesses now ours is by faith they were eyewitnesses ours is experiential ours is faith-based gospel word-based proclamation of something that we know and believe to be true you will be my witnesses and now notice the scope he says jerusalem this is where they were when this happened that's the city Judea, Samaria, that's the next kind of region around them, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So like concentric circles of influence, like a wave, they were called to spread and to go. In fact, that's the outline of the whole book of Acts. Jerusalem is chapters 2 through 7, Judea and Samaria is chapter 8, ends of the earth particularly with the ministry of Paul chapters 9 through 28 Now why would he say not, why wouldn't he say Jerusalem but forget about the uttermost parts or why not say uttermost parts but ah eh, who cares about your Jerusalem because the mission is both it is both where we are and also where we are not it is local it is global or as we used to say around here it is around the corner and around the world. So that the whole idea, and I grew up with this in the church that I, that I grew up in, is that there was the normal people and then there were the missionaries. And to be a missionary, you had to go somewhere far away. And they were the ones that went and reached those people for Jesus. And we put their thing on the fridge and we pray for them and we hope that they're being very diligent and vigilant and reaching the people in the area that they went to. And uh, they come back with their dress and the unique foods. And we go, wow, what it'd be like to be a missionary in New Guinea or wherever it might be? Well, we just went on in our life. And as long as we gave money to them, then we had done what we were called to do. Do you see that in the text there? Because you know what? Maybe it's because the lights are low, but I, I don't see that. Do you see that in the text right there? You will be my witnesses if you go somewhere where you are not. That's not what it says, is it? You will be my witnesses everywhere, beginning where you are, Jerusalem, and possibly where God will take you, the uttermost parts of the earth. We're all witnesses. So how does Bethel Church do this? Well, our our strategy is essentially the same as what Jesus has laid out here and I just want to walk through these and we're going to go through Jerusalem, Judeas, Mary, uttermost parts of the earth. So let's begin with what I'm calling my Jerusalem. Okay? And by my Jerusalem, I include myself in saying this, I mean your Jerusalem. On the count of 3, I would like for you to say out loud what location is your Jerusalem? If you're called to reach it, you better know what it is. Okay, think a second. One, two, three. Okay. Right there is some enlightenment for us. I have a Jerusalem. My Jerusalem is where I am at. And I would say that that begins with wherever you live. You know, Jerusalem, like our community, was a large city. There's no way that one person could reach the whole thing, but they all lived within the city, and together they could reach the city. Similarly, we got people come from all over the place to our church. Our Jerusalem is not 10202 Broadway or uh, Highway 41 in Cedar Lake. Our Jerusalem is wherever we are, and we need to be thinking about my Jerusalem, my place that God has called me to be salt and light, I would similarly say that it doesn't have to be simply where you live, but how about where you work? How about the school that you attend? How about your family, which could be here or somewhere else? Your friends. How about that friend list on Facebook? Looking at that, this is my Jerusalem right here. The people that I have relationship with, that I can influence. Do you have a heart? for your Jerusalem, because it begins not with a sermon about it. It begins with love, the love of God within us being now expressed to the people within our spheres of influence. And First John says, if, if, if I don't love my brother and claim to love the father, I am a liar and the truth is not in me. So for a Christian, it's not that I got to find the love, I simply need to direct the love. I have tasted of the love of God in Christ, and now I direct it to those around me with gospel neighboring. And that has to be our motive, I think. So, I think so often we feel like I've got to do my evangelism, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going after this because I'm going evangelistically. I don't really care for them, but I, I, I want to reach them when I I think that that does not get at what Jesus is talking about. Our motive should be loving them for the sake of loving them, not primarily for the sake of reaching them for Christ. I came across this quote, I think it's good. Sharing the story of Jesus and his impact on our lives is the right motive, but it cannot be an ulterior motive in developing relationships we don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we are converted. Can we all say amen to that? And if you don't get that, it turns evangelism into the stereotypical used car salesman. Boy, I've got a deal for you. Oh, hey, you look great today. So good to see you. By the way, why don't you uh, think about believing in Jesus? And the person's like, you don't care about me. You don't want to have a relationship with me. We, we don't love them to convert them. We love them because we are converted. Huge difference in that. And this allows us to be normal. Be normal. Love people. Care for them. Have an interest in them. Talk to them. Now, we can have an ultimate motive and goal and hope that we could Lead them to to Christ or to earn the right to speak about Christ. But even if we don't do that, there is inherent good and value in loving them and having a relationship with them where they see our good works. They see our life. Do you have a heart for the unsaved around you? Would they have any idea that you care about them? This past week, I had somebody mention to me something that they had heard, I thought it was powerful. What if Jesus came to you on your way out church night, walked up to you and said, hey, I'm Jesus, and I want you to know I've decided I'm gonna answer every prayer that you offered this past week, every one of them. The answer is yes. How many people would be in the kingdom as a result of that? The answer to that will tell us if we have a heart for people like we ought, what do your prayers sound like? Who are you, who do you care? And I say this, I say this, what's the right word? Sorrowfully, I guess, or hopefully that we can grow in this, but I think that this is a weakness in our church. We got, we got a lot of people in the salt shaker. And we have some people that care about getting out of the salt shaker but not nearly enough. Would you agree with that? This is an area that we need to grow in. And it begins with each one of us. Out of the salt shaker. The potential for this is tremendous. If we would love our Jerusalem, I have a graphic here. I hope that we got it. Did we we get it in? And this actually does not include all of the families of our church. It's, uh, I think it's like six months old, but this is hard to produce. Uh, But look at, every one of these blue dots is a household of somebody in our church. And there's more than this now. Can you imagine, you want to talk about impacting our Jerusalem, if you want to look at Northwest Indiana as our Jerusalem. If every one of those dots was having a salty, light influence for the Lord in its community, in its little neighborhood? Two or three houses, three or four houses around it, whatever it might be. Do you see what I'm saying? How do we reach our Jerusalem? Right there and right here. One thing it seems to me that we don't consider that is fairly non-threatening is for us to share with people. Some people get weirded out when you talk about Jesus right away with them, or even anytime with them, right? Like the, I think people don't get nearly as weirded out when you tell them about your church. Hey, you know what our church is doing? And share something that would be salty and light. Some act of compassion thing, ministry we're involved in, whatever it might be. I find that people get, I remember I was meeting with a leader in our, in our community, and uh, She was not really that interested in what I was saying. I could tell. You know, blah, 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 like this. And she's like this. And I I said, well, we have this really large ministry to uh, unwed mothers. She said, what? I said, yeah, we have a huge number of unwed mothers, mothers with unexpected pregnancies that we try to reach them, help them with mothering and, and all that. And she's like, I had no idea that you did that. And suddenly she leaned in, she was interested, she was wondering what was going on. Try that. Not as the end of evangelism or even inviting people to church, for example, an appropriate weekend or something. That's not the end of evangelism. It's, the way to, it's a way to begin the conversation with people and to ultimately, you know, hopefully get to the point where you can speak the essence of the gospel. We are sinners. Jesus is Savior, died on the cross for us. Forgiveness is found in him for all who believe etc. We need to get good at that. Let's get good at that. I think about our Christmas Eve services that are coming up at the Holiday Star Plaza. And um, what an easy kind of like invite, initiation, way to start a conversation. Maybe you could begin thinking even now, who maybe be from my Jerusalem? Could I sort of think about it? coming to that very non-threatening opportunity to present Jesus in a culturally acceptable way? Think about that Jerusalem okay Judea Samaria this is our broader outreach and I, I'm moving from my Jerusalem like personal individual to our church's collective Samaria Judea ministry efforts but we have many different initiatives a few of the big ones let me just walk through these you're familiar with these mission them mission them what is our vision statement? Our vision statement is that we are seeking to multiply disciples through multiple sites and multiple partnerships. So, a month and a half ago, we had our grand opening of our new campus in Cedar Lake. Praise God for that. Last week, 467 people gathering in Cedar Lake for our, for, at Bethel Church, Cedar Lake, worshiping Jesus, being a part of that Jerusalem. We're prayerful about a campus, another campus, in the fall of 2013, And we're seeking that, but that's as the Lord leads. You know, we can't just, you know, it doesn't just happen like that. But we're working on that. Last week, speaking of partnerships, we resourced the Women's Center which has just established a crisis pregnancy center in the city of Gary. And part of our fundraising for Mission Them was to help uh, provide the funds that they need to establish that center. And we gave them the check last week. We all applauded. It was great to partner with them. And other partnerships like that where we are trying to, to the best that we can, decentralize, get into the community. Essentially, can I say it this way? Get out of the salt shaker of 10202 broadway we're all so happy and comfy and we like being here it feels so good doesn't it let's get into the community that's what we're trying to do our small group community uh service projects if you're in a small group and we encourage everybody to be in a small group uh this is a big deal around here we have somewhere around 80 small groups and each small group is given 400 dollars a year for the express purpose of using that money in some community service way to be a blessing in the community. That's $32,000 that we just give away to our small groups for them to then partner with ministries that they can build a relationship with and be a part of that and, and use it to bless them. It has been a tremendous blessing. Our church partners with many uh, communities within or ministries within our community, and I'm just going to quickly fly through those. Do we have those up there? We need to do that kind of quick. Here's the ones right from our church. And next slide. Here are some that are uh, within the community that we support. Keep going. And here are organizations that in a volunteer way within Northwest Indiana that we are actively partnering with, volunteering, seeking to help, and to resource. So, we're trying, we are trying as a church to to influence our Judea and our Samaria. Uh, Third would be our Salt and Light Initiative. I think it was a year and a half ago that we completed our Salt and Light booklet, and we handed one out to everybody, and many of you have read that, and that book has, along with Uh, ministry resources has been used by God to begin conversations with other churches about how can we love Northwest Indiana. In fact, we are hosting in uh, a few weeks a uh, conference here on December 1st called the Salt and Light Conference. And if you would like to know more about How to Love Northwest Indiana, this conference is going to be for that very reason. You can find out more information. I think there may be people with brochures at the door. I think they have them at the information desk about the Salt and Light Conference. So these and other ways are how we are trying to fulfill that. Get out of the salt shaker, influence the community, make them thirsty, help them see. And then thirdly, uttermost parts of the earth. Remember Jesus said that, Judea Samaria, or Jerusalem, Judea Samaria, Outermost parts of the earth. This is what we call our world mission effort, and uh, I I hesitate to say that because when you think about missions, again I go back to the old way of using that word. We oftentimes think missions is what people do in strange places. You have to go. You have you got to get in a plane to go do missions. When in reality, you know what we're doing right now. This is missions. This is the mission right now. What are we doing? We are fulfilling the Great Commission. We are making disciples. We are baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded. And we are doing it confident that uh, He is with us even to the ends of the earth. This is the Great Commission right now, and we're a part of it. That's not just what people do when they leave here. But with that said, that caveat... We are very active in places around the world, and we always will be. We partner with many fine missionaries, schools, mission agencies. Uh, when we merged with uh, the church in Cedar Lake, we assumed a whole bunch more missionaries because we said, we're taking on your missionaries. Uh, but here are, here are uh, the lists, and it's a, lo- it's a long one. That's just North America. Here they are by continent. Agencies and missionaries that we are actively supporting. It's quite a list, isn't it? Does that get you excited? You don't seem to be excited about that list very much to me. I want you to realize and to celebrate that we are trying to do what we see in the Bible. We're told to do a heart for our my Jerusalem, a heart and ministry to our Judea, Samaria, and a heart for people around the world who as of yet have not come to saving faith in Jesus. And if they died today, they would go to hell. And that's the sobering reality about this, isn't it? We're not just out there doing nice things and all of that. The reality is, as Jesus said, he that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son has not life and isn't it easy you go to the restaurant you go into your pool into your garage you see the neighborhood kids or the neighbors around or the people at work and we just kind of get into the cycles of life and we lose sight of the fact that every one of these people are a soul an image bearer that is going to spend eternity somewhere and according to the bible there are only two places that people go in eternity and we're doing as best we can, and we can grow in this, and we want to grow in this. But we're trying to do our best to make it hard to go to hell from Northwest Indiana. To speak it bluntly. And that's humanly, God is sovereign, we believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation for sure. But how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So let's be a church with really beautiful feet. Let's be a church that is salty and out of the salt shaker. Let's be a church that shines like a city on a hill, makes people thirsty spiritually, and with the gospel helps them see. And to love our neighbors in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen Amen. and amen. Would you please stand for prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Truly, your kingdom come, your will be done. We are privileged to be a part of this. We thank you for your grace to us in the gospel. We don't want to hoard it or hide it, we want to shine it, to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. So may you help Bethel Church to be, a, to be a shining church in all the appropriate ways. And may every single one of us be a part of it. To that end we pray, giving you glory in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Final benediction. The words of Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's grace to us. You are dismissed. Thank We have some mission trips coming up. I was supposed to mention this. We have some short-term mission trips coming up to several countries next summer. There are brochures available as you leave if you are interested. There's not enough for everyone to get one, but they are there if you're interested. Thank you.